Welcome, welcome. Good to see you all. I know what you're probably thinking, some of you. You're thinking, what? No props? I don't have props this morning. It's going to be a strange uh, sermon. Usually I preach and I bring stuff because I'm so antsy. I need things to jump on and climb on and and walk around on. But this morning I'm going to kind of go try to grow go propless. So we'll see how it goes. Although I may, you know, I may just do some inspired prop stuff. We're starting a new series uh, this week. We're starting to look at the book of Jonah. Jonah is something I think a lot of times we associate more with like Sunday school. You know, it's the fantastic story of a prophet who runs away, gets stuck in a storm, and again gets thrown into the ocean, swallowed by a fish, spit out on the land, and goes and tells uh, Nineveh to come, you know, change their ways because God is upset with them. And so probably most of our kids can say, yeah, I know what the story of Jonah is about. But we thought, you know, we need to take a look at this book from more of an adult point of view and see what we can find, you know. Let's not leave it to kids' Sunday school for this story. Let's look at this story from something that could help us and teach us. So we're going to do start, this is the beginning of, I think, a four-week series. Could end up being a three-week series, but we're going to look into this book and find out what we can see. So I'll pray and we'll dive in. Come Holy Spirit, we pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and redeemer. In Jesus we pray, amen. Well, when looking at the book of Jonah, first thing uh, we're going to notice is that it's an old book. It's from way back before Jesus' time, about 800 years, 700 years before Jesus' time. The book of Jonah is from the 8th century B.C. It's also a book that's put squarely in the prophetic books. And so you've got the Old Testament is divided up into different kinds of literature. And there's a section of prophetic books particularly a section we call the minor prophets because they're just short little prophet books and that's where Jonah's found. But when, when we start looking at Jonah, we'll find that it doesn't quite fit in its spot too well. It sort of does, but it also could fit in any other spot because not only is it a prophetic book, it's a story. And a lot of the prophetic books are more poems and, and rants and 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 judgments but Jonah's book is is a is a story as well as a prophetic book so it's kind of at a crossroads between literature those kinds of literature what we'll find as we look at Jonah is it's at the crossroads of a lot of things the book of Jonah is sort of a sign that's why we call the 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 series the sign of Jonah Not only because Jesus calls it the sign of Jonah, but because Jonah is a sign to a lot of different things that are coming and a sign to a lot of things that have passed or have come. 
So who is this Jonah? Who is Jonah? Well, he's a Hebrew prophet. Back in the time when Israel was uh, split between Judah and Israel, they had split up because they couldn't get along. And Jonah was one of the prophets of Israel, which was the ten tribes in Judah, and there were two tribes. And they were having issues because they kept getting these kings who were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, as it says in the, in the scripture passage there. And Jonah was a Hebrew prophet in the time of the king called Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II. So... Um, if you want to look up that and, and study that for the next few weeks, just look at the history behind it. You can find some of that stuff. The only reason we know that Jonah was in that time is because there's one reference in the book of Kings that set, talks about Jonah. It's only like one verse. And then there's the book of Jonah, which really doesn't place him in, in a particular time other than at the time when Nineveh was a city. For me, the interesting thing about Jonah is his name. Jonah's name in Hebrew actually means dove. Dove. Which is pretty interesting because that image for Israelites would bring up, that would bring up certain images for them. You think about Noah in the ark and his family and all the animals, and when the flood subsided, Noah sent a dove out. Well, he sent him out three times. The dove went out first time and couldn't find anywhere to land. The second time the dove went out, the dove came back with an olive branch or leaf in its beak. And that's actually a universal symbol these days for peace. The third time the dove went out, it didn't come back, which was a really good sign because Noah thought, oh, it found a place to land, a nest, and it doesn't have to come back. So Dove kind of reminds the Israelites of God's grace to them after the flood. The other thing that the Dove does for us, I would think, is reminds us of Jesus' baptism. What did the scriptures say? The Holy Spirit came down like a dove onto Jesus after his baptism. So Jonah's right in the middle of those two. He's surrounded by these Images of a dove as compassion and love and God's favor. But we'll find that Jonah's not such a great uh, dove himself. He's, he tries, but uh, he doesn't quite live up to the image of his name. I think a lot of us are like that, right? Our name might mean something really powerful. Like my name means Judge. Dan means judge, you know, so we got a lot of judges in this church. But we, you know, we don't live up to that in the good sense. Sometimes we live up to that in a bad sense. The other thing about Jonah, before we dive into the, the book itself, is that Jonah is associated with Jesus because Jesus decides it to be so. In the book of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament, you can look for them. In chapter 12 of Matthew and chapter 11 of Luke, Jesus says to the people that are asking for some miracles, they're asking him for a sign, and Jesus says to them, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. So Jonah becomes famous in the sense that Jesus 
whole, grabs onto Jonah and says, you know what, what happened to Jonah, that's a sign for you about me. And we'll look a lot more at that next week. So next week, we're going to look at how Jesus connects with Jonah. But to, to this morning, we're going to just go for the first chapter of the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible, feel free to read along. Uh, I have an admission. I, I changed the version on the screen from the NIV, so it's going to be a little confusing. And I was hoping it would be closer to my version, but it actually is going to end up being sounding fairly in some places, fairly old English. So please bear with that. Just make it part of the atmosphere of the story or something. <laughs> Let's look at the first couple verses. This is how the book of Jonah starts. Now the word of Jehovah, which we would say Yahweh, the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So the very first thing that says in the book of Jonah is the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This isn't unusual. If you look at most of the prophetic books in the scriptures, they almost all start that way. The word of the Lord came to Joel. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to all the prophets. It either says that or it says they had a vision. The visions of the Lord came to them. So this is very standard beginning for a prophetic book. So we're like, okay, we're ready to, if you're reading this for the first time as, a, as an Israelite, you're saying, oh, this is just like all the other prophetic books. The word of the Lord came to them. And then it says, the word of the Lord was to cry out against Nineveh. The Nineveh, and, and Ryan's going to be preaching on this in a few weeks, Nineveh is actually the sworn enemy of Israel. And I'm not going to get completely into that this morning. But just think, Nineveh's in Assyria, and Assyria is the enemy of Israel. And if you want to kind of get your brain wrapped around what does that mean, uh, where is that today, um, let's, uh, Syria is basically where Iraq is today. And so Nineveh would be, if you've heard in the news, I'm sure you've heard in the news, the, the town of Mosul. Nineveh is a little bit north of Mosul, and it's located there on the Tigris River. So you kind of, it's in that area of the world that still is in tremendous turmoil and, and trouble. So let's see what happens next. Read uh, Jonah chapter 1, 3 through 5. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and then the next word is but. You go through any of the other prophetic books, you're not going to find a but right there. You're going to say, you're going to find an and. Now this may sound weird. I hope this isn't over crossing any lines, but I actually thought we could do a series on the buts of the Bible. The big buts of the Bible. And this is one of the biggest buts in the Bible. If you go back, you got a lot of, yeah, this is, there's a lot of buts in the Bible. And if you go back to Noah, in the middle of the flood, it says what? Noah's out there, the rain is coming down, and the, the very first, in the, right in the middle of the whole story that defines the story, it says, but God remembered Noah. 
And then you've got a but story with Abraham. And you've got, there's buts all over the Bible. It would be a really good series. The big buts of the Bible. I don't know. Ryan, think about it. So the next, the word is but. But Jonah rose up to flee. Jonah ran away to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of Jehovah. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and he went down into it and to go with them unto, see all this old English, Tarshish, from the presence of Yahweh. I'm going to switch some of the words around. This is not supposed to happen. The word of the Lord comes, you listen to it, you obey it. This is a strange thing. This is not a usual thing in the history of Israel in terms of prophets. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, what does he do? He runs away. We're going to talk about maybe his reasons why in a little bit. Maybe... You know, maybe he distrusted God. Maybe he hated God. Maybe he feared, maybe he hated the, the Ninevites. Maybe he feared that he would be in trouble if he went there. Maybe he's selfish and he just wanted, he didn't want to do, he wanted to do his own thing. Maybe he was crazy. This is not far from the truth because most prophets were seen as crazy guys, crazy people. In fact, when Jesus became fairly prophetic, they thought he was crazy. We don't really, we're not really given the reasons, but for some reason, Jonah thought this was an impossible word. So when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he's thinking, this is impossible for me. So I'm out of here. I'm running. It says he wanted to run to Tarshish. As far as we can tell, Tarshish was back in, in what would today be called Spain. And so let's, I guess I can use the room as a prop here. If, if you're thinking about the room as a map of the known, world, the known world at Jonah's time, let's see, we would put, uh, let's put Israel, let's put Israel about here and... Nineveh's that corner of the room, and Tarshish is farther than that corner in the room. It's outside the door and down the hallway behind this, this room a little bit. It's way far away. In fact, it's kind of an image. This, this whole book of Jonah is like a parable. It's a huge image of Jonah went to the place he could farthest away from the place he was called to go. He ran the exact opposite direction. That was the beginning of Jonah's descent. If you look at the passage, you find out that he went down to Joppa. Then it says he paid the fare for the fish, for the ship. For the fish. He paid to get on the fish. Never mind. <laughs> He went down from Joppa. He paid the fare to get on the ship. That's also lowering himself. He's actually paying money to get away from the word of the Lord. That's a descent. 
Then it says he went down into the ship. And then later we find out that not only did he go down onto the ship, as it were, he went down to the lowest part of the ship, the hold. And then he went even deeper and farther in his descent. He fell asleep. No, Jonah is going from up here as a, as a prophet and as an Israelite and as a Hebrew. And he's running away from God, but he's running straight downhill. Straight downhill. So when the word of the Lord came to Jonah... His response was running away. I think a lot of us think Jonah might be unusual, but there's actually a lot more ways to avoid the word of the Lord than you think. What do we do when the word of the Lord comes to us? Because the word of the Lord has come to us. And sometimes we don't like it. Do we run away? If you run away from the word of the Lord, you're not going to find any rest. Do we fence it off? I think sometimes the word of the Lord comes and we fence it off. We try to manage it. You know, uh, the word of the Lord comes to us and we say, oh, well, it doesn't really mean that. And it doesn't really mean that I need to do this. So we put a fence around the word of the Lord for us. We want boundaries. We don't want it to be expansive. So either we flee from it or we fence it off. Some of us, we freeze the word of the Lord. How do you freeze the word of the Lord? You get busy. You get so busy, you have no time to pay attention to the word of the Lord for you. You're working, you've got your kids, you've got school, you've got all these things that distract you from hearing the word of the Lord for you. We freeze the word of the Lord. Some of us deflect the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to us and we say, oh, that's for, that's for so-and-so. They need that word. Oh, they're, they're horrible people. They need to hear the word of the Lord for them. Or, oh, they, if they just get their life right, the word of the Lord says for them. We deflect it. And the word is actually coming to us but we start judging other people. We start saying, oh, the word is for this group or that group. Instead of taking it in and saying, oh, this is for me. We deflect it. The thing is, when you deflect the word of the Lord, you become hard-hearted. You become hard-hearted so things bounce off. And it makes it even harder for you to know what God is saying. Another way when the word of the Lord comes to us, we fake it. Now, this can be good. Some, some people say, fake it till you make it. So I guess that means fake being a disciple until you make being a disciple. But sometimes we just fake like we're doing God's will, and we fake like we're, we're happy Christians. We come to worship, and we're smiling at everybody, and it's all good, and isn't God great? And maybe inside there's turmoil and thrashing and... And our life isn't that way, but we fake it anyway. Sometimes we fake it when it comes to the word of the Lord for us. Of course, the way to 
handle the word of the Lord is to follow it. And that's what Jesus says, come follow me. And the New Testament says, Jesus says, I am the word of life. Come follow me. When the word of the Lord comes to you, and when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it marked Jonah. That's one of the things. I could speak to somebody in this room. I could speak to Kelly, but it doesn't mark her when I speak to her. But when God speaks to you, when God spoke to Jonah, it marked him. Like with a, a visible, with a spiritual mark. Let's look at Lamentations 3. Uh, says this. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for, his, for the arrow. He hath caused the shaft of his quiver to enter into my I, reins. I think that's supposed to say veins. I, <laughs> I have become a derision to all my people, their song and their song all day long. When you're marked by the word of the Lord, sometimes it's a good thing. And sometimes it's a very hard thing, especially when you're running away from it. So Jonah's running away from the Lord, but he's marked already. There's no getting away from it. God is pulling back his bow and has shot his arrow. And it's coming right for its mark. And Jonah's going to find out what that means. In Isaiah, Isaiah says, the rain, like the rain comes down to the earth and soaks it and makes all of the plants grow and produce grain and all the things that need to happen. Just like the rain, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me uh, unto me void, but it shall accomplish that, that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. The word of the Lord changes our lives one way or the other. We think we can ignore it. We think we can run away from it. We, can think, we think we can discount it sometimes, but it changes us. We're marked. We are marked people, and Jonah was marked. It's like graffiti or a tattoo, something that wasn't a sign or a mark before becomes a sign. If you have a, a wall underneath a bridge and someone graffitis on it, before they graffiti on it, it's not a sign. After they graffiti on it, it is a sign. If you have a, an arm, it's just an arm. But if you have a tattoo put on it, it becomes not only an arm, but a sign. So people will see the message that you put or the image you put on your, your arm. This is what God has done to Jonah. He's put a spiritual tattoo on his soul. And yet he thinks he can still run away from it. Let's see what happens next. Jonah 1, 6 through 10. So Jonah is down in. He's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. And it says, so the shipmaster came to Jonah. Because there's this huge storm. Did we skip a passage? Let's see. Yeah, let's go uh, three through five. Maybe, we, maybe I skipped one. Nope. So anyway, there's a huge storm. There it is. But jo jo 
but Yahweh sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was like to, ah, this English, old English stuff, was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried to his God and they cast forth their wares from the ship into the sea to lighten it and they put jo- and, but Jonah had gone down in the innermost part of the ship and lay and was fast asleep. Okay, and let's read the next part. So the shipmaster came to him and said, uh, said to him, what is this? <laughs> I'm translating this out of there going, what is this, O sleeper? Arise, call upon your God so that your God might think of us and we might not perish. And they, and they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know whose fault this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thy occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you from? And then we'll hold off on the next part. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he runs away from it. But Jonah doesn't stop. I mean, God doesn't stop. God chases him. And God chases him with a storm. Now, God could just wipe Jonah off the face of the map. God could just let Jonah go to Tarshish and pick somebody else. God could do whatever he wants. What does God want? He wants Jonah. We think the story is about Jonah telling the Ninevites to convert, and that's part of the story, but the story is actually about the relationship between Jonah and God. See, Jonah has not only problems with the word of God, he has problems with God himself. Jonah has issues with God. You might say they have a stormy relationship. Ah, good. Yeah, I wonder if that's where that phrase actually comes from. This, it comes from Jonah and God. The other way to put it is, like this song from you too, I can't live with or without you. Jonah can't live with God. Jonah can't live with God. And next week we'll see how Jonah can't live without God. It's a strange relationship. It's like, I love you, God, but I can't live with you. I can't stand you. There's a deep tension between them. If we read from uh, Jonah chapter 4, if we look ahead, we find out why some of this tension is happening So Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 says this. And and this is later on when when Jonah's saying to God these things. He was praying to God and he says, Oh, Yahweh, was this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful 
slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and you relent from calamity. That's what my version says. It says you relent from when it's concerning calamity. This verse is the verse we just spent seven weeks studying, right? This is the verse that's the, from Exodus that's the most quoted verse by the Bible in the Bible. And here it is in Jonah. Do you notice something different in this verse from the one in Exodus? I mean, the different part is actually this last part, repentest thee of the evil. That's a really bad translation. So what it says basically in Hebrew is that God relents or doesn't send calamity. God's known at this time in, this, in, the, in, in the 800s as a God who says, I'm going to do these things and changes his mind and doesn't do them. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy this nation. I'm going to make this, uh, these people repent from their sins. I'm going to bring this upon them. And then God has a prophet go to them, and they, cha- and, and they repent, and he, God says, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change my mind as far as calamity, as far as doing what I was going to do. A God who relents from calamity. That's why Jonah has issues with God. He doesn't have issues because of the other things so much that God is compassionate and gracious. He has issues with God because God doesn't follow through on his threats. Jonah wants God to follow through. He wants God to wipe out Nineveh, the Assyrians, their enemies. He wants God to to follow through. But as we'll see later on, God doesn't. So Jonah said, that's why I ran away. Because I have problems with who you are. Not only have problems with the word you sent me to give, I also have problems with who you are, God. This is very strange for us because we're like, oh, you have a relationship with God. It's nice. God is good. He's, he loves us. He blesses us. What's there to have issues about? But there really is a lot of issues that we could have with God. I would put this question in your head this morning. What part of God can you, can you not live with? What part of God can you not live with? Think about that. For me, I've struggled so long and hard with God about my calling. God calls me to get up here and speak in front of people and talk about the word of the Lord. And usually it's something hard to say to people. And I'm always, me and God are always arguing about that. I'm always saying, but God, why did you choose me to do this? I'm weak. I'm not emotionally prepared for this. I'm not socially desiring this. Why are you putting me up here? 
I can't live with that part of you, God. It's the part of God that says, when you are weak, I am strong. God says, Dan, when you're weak, I'm strong. Well, I don't like that. I don't like it. <laughs> but that's, that's the argument we have a lot. And so I keep going. What part of God do you have a hard time living with? Is it the part of God who's, who is for the poor and who calls you to be poor? Like Jesus, who, though he was rich, he became poor to make others rich? Is that the God you have a trouble with? Is it the God who forgives enemies? Do you have trouble forgiving enemies? Do you have trouble with that part of God? I was a, I was a pastor in Nevada, and I had... Done a, uh, I had done a sermon on forgiveness, and I said, you know, the scriptures say that if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. And a woman came up after the sermon, and she was, she said, oh, I, I've never heard this before. I don't like this. I, you sure this is not really, this is not what the Bible says. I've never heard a pastor say this before. And I said, well, it's, it's right here in the Bible. It's right that. Right after the Lord's Prayer. And she says, well, this can't be because my husband has a really hard time forgiving some people. And he just can't forgive. She just couldn't live with that God. In fact, they left the church because of that. <laughs> because they, he couldn't forgive. Is that the God that you have a hard time with? Or do you have a hard time with the God that calls people to suffer we're not big on suffering as Americans. We avoid suffering at all costs. Is it the God who says, you will suffer. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Is that the God, God that you, have, you can't live with? Is it the hidden God? Is it the fact that God is so silent all the time? Is that the God you have a tough time living with? Is it the God who judges? Is it the God of the church? Is it the God who thinks sex whenever you want it with whoever you want is, is outside of his plan? Do you have a tough time with that God? I don't know. We probably all have something where we have issues with God, just like Jonah. So God, Jonah ran away from the word of God because he had issues with God, and yet God still pursued him with a storm. Now let's look at Jonah's relationship to the sailors. So Jonah gets on the boat, and Jonah is what we call an insider. He's God's people. He's part of God's people. He's a chosen person, the chosen people. And these, all the sailors on the boat are what they would call at the time pagans. They're believing in other gods. So Jonah's an insider. They're outsiders. But the story flips all of this on its head, Right? Because what do the sailors do? The sailors make every effort possible, physical, economical. They throw all the, their uh, merchandise overboard to lighten the ship. They physically row. They physically try to control the ship. They make spiritual effort. They actually pray. They're all praying to their gods for the storm to stop. 
They make every effort, and in the end, they actually make a magical, a magical effort when they cast lots. They, casting lots, you find out, you know, it's kind of like doing, what do you call it, Rochambeau? Is that right? Rochambeau? Where you go, pew, pew, pew. you know, that's what they're doing all around the ship to find out who's, who, who did it. And it ends up with Jonah. They make every effort. Let's look at Jonah. He's the chosen person. He's, he's special. God's people. What does he do? He sleeps and he sits on his butt. Wow. The insider is, is totally acting like an outsider and the outsiders are acting like insiders. In fact, Jonah makes the sailors, we'll find later in the story, Jonah makes the sailors throw him overboard. They say, how will the storm stop? And Jonah says, well, if you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. But he doesn't stand up from his butt, walk over to the edge of the boat and jump in. He makes them pick him up and throw him in. He does nothing. What we find from this story is that God doesn't want insiders, and God doesn't want outsiders. God wants God-siders. People who side with God, no matter who they are. And you could be an insider and not side with God, and you could be an outsider and side with God. Makes it hard to see who's who. You know, God's favor, God's grace, doesn't make us superior better than or above, it is supposed to make us blessings to and for the world, even in our suffering and dying. God's favor or grace doesn't make us superior, better than or above. It is supposed to make us into blessings to and for the world, even in our suffering and our dying. The story turns everything on its head. A guy who runs away from God and sailors who don't know this God who act more like prophets and more like the chosen people than he does. He's found sleeping. And the questions that the ship captain asks him, why are you sleeping? Who are you? Where do you come from? What are you doing here? Those are actually questions from God to Jonah and to whoever's reading this story. Why are you sleeping? Let's look at uh, the last verses there, verses 15 and 16. So after all this, and before this happens, before they throw Jonah into the sea, he says, throw me into the sea, and they don't do it right away. They actually start rowing harder. They try not to throw Jonah in the sea. The Hebrew word there is they dug their paddles into the water. They're digging their paddles into the water to save Jonah, who's doing nothing for them but causing trouble. And then it says, and finally, they took up Jonah and cast him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the mere men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. 
This brings us all the way full circle back to Gabe Hernandez's sermon. What was Gabe Hernandez's sermon about? It was when we don't or we can't, God does. So even though Jonah doesn't do anything to show off who God is, God prevails. The sailors are converted and start following Yahweh in spite of Jonah. This is good news for us because even when we fail, like Jonah, when we run away from the word of God, when we have issues with God, even then God pursues us and pursues those around us. The one important, I think one of the important messages for us though is that even though God will, that when the world comes, runs out of options, and that's going, there's days when the, the world is going to run out of options with the problems that we have, with the wars and the terrorism and the global warming and you name it, pollution and overpopulation. When the world runs out of options for solutions for those things, we better not be sleeping. We better not be sleeping because that's when we shine. The world's rushing around on the ship doing all it can to solve the problem, but when the problem can't be solved, we need to wake up and say, God is good, God is real, God is compassionate, God is gracious, God is for us, God loves us. There's a couple other stories about sailors and storms, uh, boats and storms. There's this one, and then in the New Testament, we have a story of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. And there's a huge storm, right? And, and Jesus is sleeping also. Remember that? Just like Jonah. Some parallels here. But what happens? They wake up Jesus and say, don't you care about us? And Jesus immediately stops the storm. Jonah sits there, Jesus stops the storm. There's another story about a storm with Paul in Acts where all of the people are in this, uh, on, he's on this boat and with Roman soldiers and the, the ship is in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and there's a huge storm. And Paul says the only way to get out of this storm is if we all stick together. God says no one will die if we all stick together. What does Jonah do? He just sits there and says, throw me in the water. I don't know what else to do with this God of mine. I'm just going to go in the water and just die. The New Testament changed the whole scenario. So you can't live with God, but we can't live without God. And that's what we'll look at next week. Next week, we're going to look at why Jonah can't live without God. We already found out why he can't live with God. And returning to the idea of this being a children's story, I tried to put this in some words that might make it simple like a children's story to lead us to next week. And this is what I came up with. Yahweh tells a dove to fly, but the dove runs away. So Yahweh pushes the dove into some water where a fish will teach the dove to fly. And that's what's coming up next week. Let's close in prayer.